Southern California. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Buckle up. Here we go. Kings of the Podcast, episode 27 of season number two here. Dennis, there is a lot to get to this morning coming out of the Kings series with Las Vegas. So uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, hey, big win last night. Uh, but yeah, a lot to talk to. So let's get to it. Absolutely a lot to get to. And the Kings are making news this morning, putting Matt Luff on waivers. We'll get to that. But before we do, let's just take a quick step back into last night's game, DB. You had... Uh, Tobias Bjornfoot, who uh, took a hit there, and and at, as of this recording on Thursday morning, the Kings are still awaiting information to see exactly how long he's going to be out of the lineup and or when or if he's going to be available for these uh, upcoming games against San Jose. All right, so DB, before we get into all the stuff that we wanted to cover on today's uh, uh, show, let's just quickly talk about what happened last night in that game with Tobias Bjornfoot, of course. Uh, Chandler Stevenson, now not to be confused with Shea Stevenson or Chandler Barbie, I guess it's kind of the merger of those two. You come up with Chandler Stevenson, the player for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, from all indications, he's probably going to get a game or two uh, suspension. Wouldn't yeah. you think after that hit on Bjornfoot? Yeah, I believe he has a hearing. So, yeah, I would think that there's going to be uh, uh, some supplementary discipline for him. And yeah, it wasn't a good hit. It, it's, he led with his elbow, and accordingly, uh, uh, he should. Uh, there should be some games missing. And I just hope that uh, Bjornfoot is going to be uh, healthy enough to play against these now crucial games against San Jose. Well, absolutely, because, you know, we, we did the math a little while ago, Dennis, and, and we were talking about what the Kings would have to do. But here's the thing. The math keeps changing on us because okay. uh, you look at what's going on with these other teams. St. Louis just really doesn't seem to want that fourth spot. And Arizona's hanging around there. And the Kings, you know, forget about the two games from before, Dennis. It, it, like, it yeah. happened. It's over. It's done with. Like, yeah, sure. Everybody wishes that they would have picked up two, three or four points in San Jose before. But with the win last night, they are right back in the mix. They're a couple points back. They have a game in hand. And as we talked about on a previous episode, they do have, quote unquote, the easier schedule. Um, so the Kings are in this. They're right there, John. They are right there in the mix. They, If they win, they, I don't say they can win the games they're supposed to. Like the way the schedule lays up, if they do what they need to do, they can be the four seed. Because I agree with you, St. Louis doesn't want it. They're still banged up. Now they are getting players back. But mm -hmm. there's no reason why at game 56 they can't be sitting in the four if they do the right thing. Well, you know, there's another component to this. Everybody wants to look at points percentage when they look at the standings. There's also that other column that I've referred to several times throughout the season. The goal differential column to me yep. is still a very important column. And when you look at it, it's the Kings who have the better goal differential. They're actually even coming out of last night's game, I believe. But you're talking double digit, uh, double digit negatives in terms of goal differential for Arizona and for St. Louis. Yep. And that is not a recipe for making the postseason. Agreed. And, and you know, it, it's a sprint now. There's, what, 20, 22 games left? Um, yeah, it, it's sitting there waiting for them. If they can, I, I can't tell you they, they need to win 13 or 14 or 15 because, like you said, John, it changes every day. 
and mm-hmm. they're all inside division games. So everybody, somebody can move up. There's not a situation where if you don't, if you win, you won't move up or you won't gain on somebody because you're playing inside the division all the time. Yeah. And ima- just imagine that game against St. Louis, which finally has been rescheduled for May. Imagine if it all came back down, or if it all comes down to that one game, what an exciting moment uh, potentially at Staples Center and fans could even be in the building. It would be fantastic. Yeah, that, that would be great. And you mentioned it. And I certainly hope that uh, in that next grouping of games after, I, I know we're shooting for, you know, your uh, reverse retro game, but I think by the April 14th. Yes. Yeah. By the end of the month, I got to think that there's going to be fans in there and it'll be impactful, John, because it'll be the first games of consequence of like real meaning that this team Mm -hmm. has played down the stretch in three years since 2018. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be a great way to welcome the fans back. Yeah, it absolutely would. Uh, Let's talk about the other big Kings news that took place this morning. Matt Luff going on waivers. Um, I certainly have a couple thoughts about this DB, but uh, I'll defer to you first. If you have any opening remarks. Yeah, great kid. Um, looks like he's just not going to get the opportunity here, John. So uh, do other teams look at him? We've heard that there are other teams that like him, but um, it's just a situation where Todd's made a choice. He's chosen Austin Wagner over Matt Luff, and I, I think that uh, we're on the same page there, and probably a lot of fans are. So that's just my thoughts, but uh, uh, give me what you're thinking about right now. Well, I, I, what I'm mainly thinking about is just that, unfortunately, he was never given an extended run. And that's really what I think you need. Like with Michael Amadio, you can't say that he wasn't given uh, enough of an opportunity in L.A. He played over 150 games over multiple years. The longest run that Luff really had was, I believe, that first season under coach John Stevens. Right. And uh, when Luff came on the program, uh, if memory serves me correctly, he he scored uh, right around the time that there was the coaching change. And so that was something that was uh, sort of sort of funny. But yeah, he hasn't had an extended run. I don't think he's played uh, multiple games, you know, in a row more than just a few times this season. He's been in and out of the lineup. That affects a young player's confidence, especially when you're trying to fight and scrap to, to, to get into the lineup. Um, so hopefully he does get another opportunity because the reality is this, that for, for whatever reason, uh, it does appear that uh, it's not a player. He's not a player that that Coach McClellan is interested in using. So you want to give that young player an opportunity to play somewhere else. And it's sort of funny because uh, we talked about it on the last episode, DB. Fans want to bang on us, you, me, whoever, when we say play Matt Luff. Like, you know, oh, well, he's the answer to the problems or whatever. And somebody said on Twitter today, oh, you're over-evaluating prospects if you think Matt Luff, you know, deserves a chance. It's like you guys don't seem to understand sometimes that, it takes a full village. It's not all about just putting players on the top line. Uh, Matt Luff has a, a big shot, uh, an NHL release. Go back and read the scouting reports. And he is was projected to be, uh, you know, a third or fourth line player in the NHL. And that could still happen. It just isn't going to happen with L.A. But uh, it's not about over-evaluating prospects. Some, I guess that people think that if you talk highly of a player, that means that you think he belongs on the top line with Kopitar. Not not only that, John, but when if you hear for the last two months about how Todd's looking for, you know, combinations on the bottom nine to say mm-hmm. give this guy a chance when it's not obviously not working, and you know you came out with the uh, with the Todd Farther Lotto uh, bottom nine Lotto yesterday, which was awesome. Uh, when, when that situation is happening, if this was everybody clicking on everybody and they were getting depth scoring all the time, I would say yeah. But saying why isn't this guy? Why doesn't this player get a more extended look? I think that's that's your point. Not that you're overvaluing mm-hmm. any, anyone. Is that the guys on the bottom haven't been producing. That's been the challenge. So this team has been propped up by their power play. And now when it's not producing, now it's even more incumbent upon them to get production from their bottom nine. So, yeah, to, to ask for an extended 
look at Matt Luff is not overvaluating. It's just saying, hey, this is another option. Take an extended look. Yeah, absolutely. And because the clock was ticking as well. See, that's the other thing. While people were saying, you know, play Kapari, play Kapari. I'm like, you know, pump the brakes. There's plenty of time to play Kapari. You need to make a decision on Matt Luff. Like whether Kapari plays 20 games this year or doesn't play any more games in the NHL, it doesn't really matter towards the the long-term future of Rasmus Kapari. He's he's part of the Kings organization. Um, Leas Anderson needs an extended run. They need to figure out what they want to do with him. They need to figure out if he's going to be protected. I think he will be in the expansion draft. Uh, but from what I understand, uh, just to sort of switch switch gears here, and we certainly wish the best to, to Matt Luff, I do have some kind of related information to all of this because the roster is – in a bit of flux right now, right? And we talked about this uh, a month or two back uh, about you know the fact that Amadio was probably going to end up on waivers and now he's gone. And the Kings are at 23 players uh, last night, Dennis, with Leas Anderson in in the uh, in in the in the lineup and playing. They were at 23 roster players, and they do have three players sitting on the outside that at some point are going to need a spot on the roster. You have Oli Mata, who's on injured reserve, so when he comes off, somebody needs to go back in. Uh, and that's not Daniel Brickley because he's on the taxi squad DB. Right. So talking just about the 23 NHL roster players, uh, you could potentially, I guess, send Austin Strand back to Ontario to to get Mata in there if he comes off IR. But you also have Brendan Lemieux, who's going to be coming in. Sure. You need a roster spot for him. He's going to be clearing protocol here in the next couple of days. You have Martin Furk. There was a bit of confusion on him yesterday. Sounded like he had a setback when, in fact, he really didn't after we dug in on that. So uh, just a little sore from practicing. But Furk's on IR. He's going to want to come back at some point. Um, so things are tight right now. And from what I understand, as of this morning, uh, which is Thursday morning, DB, it looks like the plan is to keep Leas Anderson up and, and give him kind of a, a two-week run here and take a look at him. Yeah, I think that's a great move. He, he has some bite to his game. Um, he's certainly got speed. And, and I think... On that bottom, like, put more speed in there, right? I think that's what you got to look at. So we'll see. But I, I think that he went back down to Ontario, did the right thing, and now he's back up and he's trying to establish himself on the bottom six. Yeah, he was basically that was a modified conditioning uh, assignment, is what it was. He had been right. inactive for a while, and so while they weren't officially calling it a conditioning assignment, it was an opportunity for him to get in the lineup, get some games going. Curiously enough, because uh, Ontario had their own injuries, they had, they had used him at center and wing. He wasn't there very long, but he had an opportunity to to move around a little bit, and that was kind of one of the jokes when I was projecting the lineup yesterday uh, about okay, Leas Anderson's going to play. Well, where are you going to play him? There's so many options at center or wing, and in that bottom nine. By the way, once again, great, great joke, DB, on the uh, the Todd Father uh, lotto ticket. That thing was just fantastic. I was cracking up reading your text, and that's why we had to do it. But um, just a couple of quick comments on, uh, from uh, Coach Robleski on Leas Anderson, who, again, wasn't down with Ontario very long. But some of the things that he said when we asked him about it was fiery competitor. He's useful in all spots, including the power play. He said he was very good on the PK. He said that one of his best attributes was puck protection. And that uh, he could be a guy that really should be able to shut down another team's top line and be ultra dependable in his own end. I thought those were some really telling comments coming yeah. from a European player that hasn't played a North American game. Uh, th- that's th- those are some exciting things to be saying about young Leas Anderson. I think you got a super motivated player from what happened in New York. I think he's out to mm-hmm. prove a point, and so far, you know, with respect to what he's done and how he's done, and he's willing to take on any role. I think it's a very good sign for that player. 
All right. So uh, one other quick note related to the roster DB, and then we can move on. I haven't even given you the name of the studio yet today, but one other quick note roster roster related. The OHL is such a wild card in everything. uh, And and are they going to start? Are they not going to start? But I did get an opportunity this week to sort of touch base with, um, you know, some of our sources in the Kings management group and try to figure out, okay, what's the current thinking um, with some of these players? If the OHL was to uh, to, to shut down, or I shouldn't say shut down, but to, to not come back because they are shut down right now. Um, if the OHL was to not come back, what is the plan with Byfield? Because we had heard and reported once upon a time that the tentative plan was to bring Byfield up when the rosters expanded and, um, you know, maybe give him five, six games with the Kings, but still let him be around the club and practicing with the team and traveling with the team and whatnot. Um, it sounds like that if the OHL does not return, they would continue to leave him in the American League and let him get as many games as possible and save his call-up for the last couple of weeks of the season. And, uh, you know, DB, we touched on that almost a little bit in the last episode, saying it would be very difficult if you called him up in two weeks. If the Kings are still in the playoff hunt, it'd be very difficult to find a way to get him into the lineup because they just don't have the room right now uh, to try to mess around because every game is so vital. I couldn't agree with you more, but the OHL, you could call him up and put him on the taxi squad, though. Oh, no, well, you can if the OHL doesn't come yeah, back. If, you, if they don't yeah, come he, back. Right. Yeah, yeah, if they don't come back, then I, then you can go, you can do that. Yeah, if it does, see, here's the thing. Like, they're in, unless the bottom falls out here in the next 10 games, they're going to be in it. So if mm-hmm. you are going to recall him, are you really going to put him in in games that are basically playoff games? Are you going to weigh that? Because if if that's the case and you call them and they're still in that spot, that means they've played well. Okay. So who are you going to take out of the lineup? Well, right. You 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 could send Velarde down. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> he's wavering. Uh, he's wavering. Do you, wake, Let's go. do you just wake up in the morning and find a new topic to stir the pot every day? Is that what it is? Uh, okay. No, it's not just coming from me. So let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, yes, but that's, that's the, no, all kidding aside, that's the dilemma, right? You, you're going to assume they're still going to be in the race. So they're playing well. So you assume you're going to have productive players in a role he would assume. So you're just going to plug them in there. So I get it. If there is no HL, you bring them up, you put them on a taxi squad or when the, 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 uh, um, the rosters expand, but I don't know how you would play them in games of consequence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have to sort of pick and choose your moments and find when you do it. And even then sure. there is some some risk associated with it. I, and if everything fell perfectly, I think you do want to get him at least one game this year just to yeah. uh, sort of, you know, see where he's at and also as a as a reward for everything that he's had to go through with the quarantining you know multiple times and and the play with team canada and then coming into the american league and and really being uh among the most productive players in the american league here uh, you know outside of the first 10 games Uh, he's right there in the rookie scoring race and uh he's been playing very well you know it took him 10 or 12 games to assimilate to the league and and playing against men and then uh, you know on we go uh Get to the name of the studio here, DB, uh, in just one I, I, in one moment, though. But I, I do want to give related to the Ontario Reign, something popped into my head. A quick shout out to former coach Mike Stuthers. It was announced today, this morning, that Hockey Canada for the upcoming uh, U18 World Tournament, which is really it's it's uh it's it's a big tournament for the draft eligible players and this is where you get to see all the all the kids not only from Canada but for the other countries many of them that are going to be drafted in the uh, upcoming NHL draft and Mike Stuthers is going to be an assistant coach on that team it was announced today so if you want to see the roster and you want to see the full thing uh it's on Twitter I tweeted out about it but uh it just fantastic I mean Stutz is you know a maker of men as I've said many times mm-hmm. he, he does a, a wonderful job of that that tough love approach 
and so well respected Dennis we saw the outpouring from his former players right. when he was uh, you know no longer with the Ontario Reign before this is a guy who has a tremendous amount of experience he's been behind the bench in the NHL he's been behind the bench in the WHL and the OHL which is a rarity uh, for coaches to be in both of those junior leagues won a Calder Cup obviously as a coach and uh, was a former player himself first round pick of the Flyers so Tremendous amount of experience. So well-deserved, great accomplishment for Stutz. Can't wait to get his uh, his takes on on those players and uh, that experience. That's going to be going down in, in Texas. They're going to play the the U18. So, uh, you know, I guess thank you to Wayne Gretzky uh, for his <laughs> expansion of the National Hockey League and hockey in general into the uh, Southwest, uh, you know, part of the U.S. But who would have ever thought the, the World Under-18 tournament is going to be held in Texas, Dennis. You, you got to ask Stutz if he's got his 10-gallon uh, hat and co- cowboy boots ready for a trip to Dallas. <laughs> well, you know what? He's going to have some quarantine coming up uh, because he's going to have to quarantine and get a bunch of testing done before crossing the border. And then I think the whole the whole group has to quarantine for, I think, five days once they get to, uh, to Texas. So if he doesn't have... <laughs> his uh, belt buckle and his boots and his hat, then uh, he'll have plenty of time in his hotel room to do some online shopping. DB, we might want to connect you with Stutz because you might need to be able to, or you might be able to offer some advice. You know, you did the, you did the quarantine the isolation thing in the hotel room. You can tell him about that quarantine life. Yeah. He, he needs to get on Instacart if he's going to do that or, or skip the <laughs> dishes or uh, Postmates or something like that. That'll be his best friend. Well, there you go. So uh, look, if Stutz has not caught up with uh, Kings of the Podcast, he's going to have plenty of time to hear our our backlog of episodes. Uh, Moving right along, DB, as we should have said at the top of the the program here, today's episode, we are coming to you live from the David Vandergulik studio here in Los Angeles. Now, uh, DB, does that name ring a bell for you? I've got no chance on it. I got no shot on that one, John. Okay, so a couple of connections. He is a uh, former seventh round draft pick. That was at the 2002 NHL draft. He was taken by the Calgary Flames. We had Matt Roy on the program last time, and uh, he, of course, is a seventh round draft pick. Now, the thing that's sort of uh, funny about Vander Gulick is that after playing uh, his, his college hockey at Boston University, uh, which has been in the news of late, he spent a lot of time in the American League, he even played for the Quad City Flames, uh, which is, is a defunct team as the Flames have moved their, their group around. He debuted with the Calgary Flames, played six games, uh, played a handful of games with the Colorado Avalanche as well. 49 NHL games. And so you're thinking, well, what does any of this have to do uh, with with the L.A. Kings, John? He played one game for the L.A. Kings. So in 2014-15, he played for the Manchester Monarchs, which would have been the uh, the team that I believe was coached by Stutz. And... Uh, he played one game in 2014-15 for the L.A. Kings. That was it. He was signed uh, the same year that Dean Lombardi signed Adam Cracknell. So remember, that was sort of a Dean specialty. He would hire, not hire, excuse me. He would sign, he would sign these, these, we'll call them veteran, veteran players, not necessarily NHL vets, but he would sign these vets to push for jobs yeah. coming into training camp. And uh, we talked about Trent Hunter recently as one of those type of guys. And so this was another one of those, uh, David Vandergulik. So there you go, DP. Yeah, that's it. you connected the smallest this of dots. This is the yeah. last minute of play in well, the period. Well, I mean, you know, I say obscure Kings. That's who we named the studio after. I mean, a guy played one game for the yeah, LA yeah, Kings. Right. It doesn't really get much more obscure than that. Although there there was that group of the whole, uh, I think it was the Radic Bonk uh, group of like six or eight players that Dean once acquired and several of them never never played for the Kings. Uh, I don't remember if it was Bonk or not, but it, 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 
that's what's ringing in my head right now. So, uh, Dennis, coming up on the program today in the second period, maybe we should take a break and get right to it. We have Mauro Ranallo, and some might be wondering, well, he's a, you know, he he's a combat sports guy. He does MMA. He does boxing. What what's the what's the relationship? Well, hopefully, Mauro can tell us a little bit about it. He does have a hockey background as well, much like David Vandergulik, who grew up in uh, British Columbia. Uh, Morrow is a product of British Columbia and eventually went on to uh, begin his career. I believe it was in Calgary, but has a hockey background. So we'll talk with them about that. We can ask him some questions um, just about his craft. You know, we love talking to people that are very successful at their craft, whether it's music or uh, in this case, doing play by play, doing announcing. And uh, he has a very unique style, high energy guy. And uh, I know that both of us are, are, are big, big fans of Morrow's work. And he has a great story as well. He's a, he's a role model for people who are, have, have certain challenges in life. So he's really uh, got to the top of the food chain with respect to his sport and his craft, and I'm looking forward to chatting with him. All right, so on the other side of the break, we will bring in Mauro Ronaldo, and we will talk all about him and what's coming up with Bellator on Showtime. Hey, Kings of the Podcast fans, it's DB. Have you ever said to yourself, I love the fact that I have the same few pairs of sheets since just after college. I never liked them then, and I keep washing them every week or two and putting them back on the bed like it's totally normal. Well, stop it. Brooklinen can make that voice in your head and the bad sheets on your bed go away. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen, as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available to you without the luxury-level markups. And Brooklyn is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, and even loungewear and more. They are so confident you will love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code KINGS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more and get free shipping. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast. You know, we always say that our guests, it's a very special guest coming on the program, but uh, this one is actually very special because it has taken me many years to track this man down. I'm talking about Mauro Inalo. He is, in my opinion, the greatest combat sports announcer on the planet. He's done MMA. He's done boxing. He's done kickboxing. You name it. And uh, Mauro, although this is primarily a hockey podcast, I'm an MMA guy. I've been going to shows for about 20 years now, even before it was legal in California. I've covered UFC. Uh, Dennis is a big boxing guy. So, and you're Canadian, so hockey fits into all of this too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a nice little recipe you've cooked up. <laughs> yes, it's just just for you, Mauro. Um, <laughs> as long as it's as good as Mama Ronaldo's gnocchi, I'll, I'll be a return customer. If not, then this is one and done, my friend. <laughs> well, it would, we'd be honored to have you back for sure. Let's see how it goes, though, be over good. the next 20 minutes. <laughs> you, you tell us when we're done. Um, look, a big weekend coming up for you, so it was timely to get you on. Big weekend, double duty, I believe. Bellator MMA uh, is on Showtime this Friday night and then boxing coming up right after that. And you've called like MMA and Showtime and Morrow go together regardless of the promotion. How excited are you as you uh, get ready for this weekend going into the Bellator show? 
I am uh, literally over the moon. I, I did ride my bicycle over the moon, a la, you know, our good friends. And, you know, I'm noted for references of all kind, whether they are dated or not. I, I've had my extraterrestrial moments in this lifetime. Uh, to be at this stage of my career and continue to have these types of opportunities when there are so many more uh, important things going on in the world. I, I'm just truly blessed and I am grateful and I I am so thrilled that I somehow find myself in a position to now have all of my, you know, all of my loves under one roof mm-hmm. with Viacom, CBS and Showtime. Uh, having been with uh, Showtime Sports the longest that I've been with any one of my employers uh, and it was because of their uh, introduction of MMA to a premium uh, cable station, uh, making history not only with uh, that event itself in February of 2007, but uh, going on to becoming the first uh, major network offering of MMA with the Kimbo Slice there on CBS. And so for me now, a decade and a half to be in a position where we can welcome a new combat sports entity to Showtime after the incredible memories that we authored with Strike Force. Uh, Strike Force. And, and Scott Coker, who runs Bellator now after what he did with Strikeforce, he has proven that he is an amazing promoter and a, a nurturer of talent and a guy who has an eye for the right free agent to sign. And all you have to do is look at how valuable Strikeforce became to the UFC mm-hmm. and the champions in Strikeforce who went on to become champions in the UFC and, and legends. So Scott Coker is, is a, a huge... Uh, part of this puzzle and for him to now be back with Showtime and to have Steven Espinoza, we saw what he's done for boxing by bringing Floyd Mayweather to Showtime and that how that, you know, entirely changed uh, the landscape and made Showtime the preeminent source of not only boxing now, but MMA. So uh, I'm very excited. I am so thankful to uh, be working with big John McCarthy, who as someone who literally built the sport as someone who knows everything about the sport, a walking Wikipedia of MMA for him to be uh, my broadcast colleague. Uh, again, I, I continue to be spoiled in many ways, but uh, Friday, April 2nd, uh, can't come soon enough. And, and as you mentioned, my friend, three straight Fridays, we got Friday, April 2nd, Friday, April 9th, Showtime boxing, April 10th, and then Bellator on April 16th. So, we are definitely coming out of the, the gates of uh, storming. Now, I'm curious about the whole, the whole double duty thing, because in, in the world of hockey this year, for example, we're experiencing something new where teams are playing these mini two games sets. So instead of playing one team and then, you know, traveling and playing another team and so on, and it's, it's a new team every night, it's more like little two game playoff series. When you're doing back to back, how difficult or how challenging can that be, especially when it's two sports on two different nights and the preparation that goes in? It's very rare, first of all, but I've had to uh, uh, do it in the past. And, and really, because combat sports, we're the next of kin. Boxing is, is related to mixed martial arts. And, of course, in MMA, you need to know uh, something about boxing in, uh, in order to be successful there. So in terms of the two sports, yes, there are distinct differences. But for my preparation, and, and this goes back, I remember I would be doing pride fighting championships on a Saturday night in front of 45,000 people at the Saitama, the Saitama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan, coming home and a couple of days later be calling the, the minor league lacrosse championships on community access television in my hometown of Abbotsport <laughs> uh, and prepare the exact same way and call it the same way. 
So I guess my answer is I, I have my process. And in terms of what I'd like to do as a, a play-by-play guy and something I continue to try to nurture and, and hone, you're only as good as your last performance. I know I'm known for being uh, verbose and, and, yeah, using pop culture references and adding a little bit of flavor that may not necessarily be everyone's cup of tea, but it is me. And it is me at my uh, most authentic self. So I, I love preparation, much like you guys, I'm sure. There's a reason we love to do what we do, podcasts or stuff. We, we're curious and we want to tell stories and we want to learn more about people who frankly can't do what we can, or excuse me, can do what, uh, you know, we can't do what they can is what I'm trying to say. I, I, I would love to be the heavyweight champion <laughs> of the world and to be, to be cage side and ringside, looking at people putting their lives on the line, uh, literally, and, and knowing that there is still an art, that's why it's mixed martial arts. That's why boxing is an art. Mm-hmm. There, it's, it's, you know, I, I, there is really no difficulty. If anything, I think it will make me that much better on the Saturday for Showtime Championship Boxing because, the, the, you know, the wheels will be grooving already. Mm-hmm. And for those who, who haven't seen this bipolar rock and roller, Moro, that was just, uh, you know, I, I knew of you on mic, but... Behind the scenes, it was just an amazing documentary. It's on Showtime. Go get it on demand now. With that said, um, you're in, in the preamble before we just started the uh, the podcast. You told us that your career actually could have went in a in a hockey direction. Sure, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, again, I, I've been called the Forrest Gump of broadcasting for some reason, regardless of what's going on in my life. I show up at events and I'm like, "What do you mean I'm calling? I'm the PA announcer for the Canadian Olympic hockey team and Team Finland with Yari Curry and all these other amazing stars." And and, and I'm in the MSA Arena in Abbotsford in 1990. What's going on here? Uh, literally, hockey as for all Canadians. And yes, it's a stereotype, but there's a reason. And then it's to me, it is you know the greatest game on earth. It, there's nothing like the Stanley cup uh, playoffs. And I know even the most uh, ardent critics are, um, you know, the, the, I live here in America and uh, even the staunchest anti-hockey guy will tell me when they watch the Stanley cup playoffs, they're, they're blown away. So for me at a young age, I, I just wanted to do everything. Let's face it. I, I, if there was a microphone, I wanted to try. What was the worst thing that could happen? I could be booed out of the building like I was the night that I thought I could be a curling announcer on community <laughs> access television, taking that assignment on less than four hours notice and knowing nothing about the hog line, knowing nothing about the button. And uh, so hockey, thankfully, I knew a little bit about. I actually was the guy, and much maybe like yourselves, during the Bob McKenzie era, would read the hockey news cover to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, would would you know write out my own box scores, not knowing that there was the province newspaper <laughs> with the box scores in it the next day. Uh, listening to one of the best to ever call it, uh, Jim Robson, on my transistor radio in, in in you know near my hometown of Vancouver. And so yeah, I, I tried doing hockey play by play, and and I guess I was pretty good at it because I was offered an opportunity to be the voice of the uh, the expansion Chilliwack Bruins uh, in the Western Hockey League. Uh, back in the day when they were, you know, owned by guys like I think Pat Quinn was in the ownership group, the late Pat Quinn, uh, Brian Burke. Uh, but on the same, almost the same day that I was offered that opportunity, I received a call from the Fight Network in Toronto. They were uh, the first, you know, 24-hour combat sports network in North America. They wanted me to host a, a kind of a sports center for combat sports, you know, nightly 30 minutes. And I'm like, my goodness, this Absolutely. Amen. I get there. They don't even have a camera. I actually had to dig into my own pocket and buy a teleprompter for the younger announcers on the, on the, on the team. So needless to say, there's a part of me that wishes I would have been able to, 
to score, you know, announce a game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup. But uh, when I look back at the last 16 years, I think it's been a, a pretty good run. <laughs> you did okay, for sure. Yeah, for, I mean, we we have this forum for you here, uh, Mauro. If it's been stuck in your head and you need to get it out, feel free to call one right now. You know, pick your team. We'll, we'll we'd be happy to hear your uh, your call of a, a game winning goal. Leach across the blue line, leads down to the hash mark to the side wall. Leach wheels it behind the net. There's Gretzky in his office. Gretzky to the top of the slot. The shot by Leach, the save by McLean, and Captain Kirk goes where every Canuck goaltender has failed to go before. <laughs> I don't, we can end it now. That's just you're the best. <laughs> right now, we're both species, but Jay, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's good stuff, Mauro. That's amazing. Oh, thank you, brother. You know, uh, here in America, I mean, you live here now, of course, and uh, yeah. spend a bunch of time in Japan and whatnot, but here in America, sports fans love to debate who would be on the or who should be on the Mount Rushmore of sports. And I'm just thinking, as a Canadian, obviously, it's it's Gretzky. And maybe it's Bret Hart and GSP. And I mean, would those three go there? And who's the fourth one if those three get three of the four spots? Well, Ron, first of all, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my fellow Canadians for letting me into their home. Do you really have to ask me this question? It's Canada's greatest athlete, Gene Big Thunder Kanisky. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, that would be great. Hey, Morris, so I want to ask you a little bit about your craft. So when you're, and yes, this, this is across sports, like what do you want from your color analysts when you're doing a broadcast? Great question. Um, I, they, they're the experts. First of all, they're the ones who are putting together uh, the, I'm baking the recipe. I'm the guy that it's pretty boring. What I do, I put the cake, the flour in, I'll, I'll you know, bake up the recipe here by telling people who they are. These are the ingredients. Uh, this is what, you know, we're going to do with these ingredients. And then the analyst has to be the guy to really make the, the, the ingredients taste good. He's got to have the analysis. I, I think the best way to announce it is that he, the best analysis is the, are the why guys. They're going to tell you why this happened or why he thinks this is going to happen. And yeah, nowadays, you know, everybody, I think the next, everyone wants to be Tony Romo now because of his prognostication ability. I, I think for many people, uh, for me, especially in fighting, and especially on television, I, and even as a play-by-play guy, it, it, it makes me laugh out loud at times going, in many ways, we are Captain Obviouses. We are stating what everyone can see. So in that regard, the, the analyst has to give us what I'm not supposed to know and what the person at home is not supposed to know and, and have those eureka moments, those enlightening moments, those teaching moments, but hopefully be entertaining as well and hopefully do it uh, in the context of a 10 to 15 second soundbite. It's, it's stick and move. And, and again, even here I am now, 36 years as a paid broadcaster in my 51st year on earth where, you know, getting ready for Bellator MMA on Showtime, the debut Friday, where I'm like, okay, there's nobody in the audience. You're, you're, you're used to this since August. Still let it breathe, brother. Just just mm-hmm. learn to find the balance. You're, you've got to keep going back and forth. And should I be this excited? Shouldn't I be the, you know, be my most authentic self. That's all I can guarantee. And, and for the analysts, the same thing. I want them to be able to teach me something and everyone at home and, and able to, to make what may be intricate things very simple. And, and that's one of the reasons I never pursued football. I was a football fan growing up. It, it still is way too complicated for me. And I, I find it to be, I find it to be, I, I get it. I get why it's so popular, but 
why the hell is it so complicated? So there's, you know, fighting is, is the purest form of competition. And, yeah. and for me, the right analyst is the why guy, reactionary guy, the guy who's going who's gonna to teach and preach. Mar, you touched on something, and you're such a passionate, energetic announcer. So the last year, not to have people in the building, like how do you measure that? How do you get to the point where you're, you're being less than authentic with respect to what you do? Do you have to find more energy from within yourself because the crowd's not there? How, what's the experience been like for the last year? In in a mental health way, it's been amazing because there's someone – who lives with bipolar disorder on a daily basis. I get anxious around big groups of people. I, uh, uh, even the walk from the, the hotel to the, to the venue can be uh, debilitating at times. But in terms of the craft, man, oh man, I, you know, people always know that even now talking to you, I realize, wow, you're into this, you're intense, you're, you're boisterous, you're loud. So this is who I am when I'm amped up. Am I like this 24 hours a day? Hell no. When I, I, I spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time alone for, for a variety of reasons because I, I need to find that balance. So in terms of calling a fight, yeah, I may turn it down a bit, but I will say this, the one person, the only person that I have to satisfy in terms of what I do is, you know, my boss at Showtime. And there have been times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to tone it down. I'm going to try to to maybe listen to the haters as we all want to do it once in a while and find out that that's the wrong thing to do to be yourself. And so I've been told, you know, we need you. You're here, for, you're here because you're Moro Ranallo. Mm -hmm. If we wanted someone else, we'd get someone else. Yeah, you're going to have haters. So what? There's a reason you've called everything that you call. People, we, we love your energy. We love your authenticity. We love your passion. And we love the fact that you're not a, uh, you know, at the best of times, uh, we got to be nicer to each other. And in my business, especially broadcasting entertainment, all the stuff that it's as cutthroat as I'm, uh, I, I'm proof. I hope, you know, the, the nice guy doesn't have to finish last. You can still be a nice person and, and just live by a code of just, yeah, I'm jealous of people. I get insecure about young guys coming up going, he's got a great voice. I think he's a great announcer. But then I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> you were that guy coming up. Look where you are. Let's see if you can help that guy get to where you were and where you are. And so that's, that's what I'm hoping, uh, being so open with my story and being open, uh, even as a broadcaster. And yeah, you know, I work, I've called the biggest fights in the world. So what? I'm a guy that tries to just enjoy life every day, try to make the world a little better every day, share some positive stuff and, and yeah, hopefully entertain you when, when I call a fight, that's all I can do. That's all I want to do. I'm no, you know, that's, it's, it's not a big deal, but it is within the context of what we're doing. This, there are two people putting their lives on the line. And yeah, I, as much as I try to entertain, I also know when to be serious. I'm not trying to disrespect fighters or take away from the sport. My references are a way of me painting my word pictures. I just can't see myself repeating right hand, right hand. That's a paintbrush. That's a pool <laughs> stick jab. That's a, oh, you know, catapult right. Otherwise, come on, we know what it is. So that's just who I am. It doesn't have to be you. You know, Mauro, you mentioned Gene Kaniski earlier, and when all of us were younger, we were fans of of sports at one time, right? Whether it was hockey or whether it was fighting or whatever the sport, wrestling, whatever it was, we're fans. And then eventually we're lucky enough to be part of certain sports and we meet the athletes that were once celebrities. Uh, was there a point in time or is there even to this day still when you when you have an, uh, a whoa, aha moment, you know, when you meet a certain a certain fighter uh, or or any other athlete? athlete for that matter um absolutely i get them all the time especially with uh with history in fact just this weekend i was uh 
given by Thomas Hitman Hearns at a charity function, uh, uh, an autographed pair of gloves from Thomas Hitman Hearns. We just lost marvelous Marvin Hagler, actually, the day of our last Showtime Championship boxing event. And, of course, they're, uh, you know, intricately connected in time for the mm-hmm. war, the, the most brutal eight minutes in a, in a boxing ring. Yeah, I guess a guy like Nature Boy Ric Flair coming up to me and saying, you know, man, you're a hell of an announcer. Uh, what more do you need? <laughs> you know, or it's, 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 yeah, I don't, you know, but it's like everything else. I do it for experience. I, I do it for the experiences. I don't do it for the fame, the money, or anything else. I, I want to have positive experiences, and I want to hopefully convey and, and bring those positive experiences to as many people as I can. Mar, you are a role model, so so... What advice would you give to someone that has read your story, knows your story, sees you on television about trying to be um, the next you? The best answer I can give is be the first you. Fantastic. That's good. That's a good one. Uh, And honestly, I know, I know what that, you know, is very short. Believe it or not, I'm capable of delivering short sentences, (laughs) short answers. I am, believe it or not. But honestly, that's it. I, I, everyone just asks, who are my influences? I loved, I, I loved everyone who picked up a microphone that I connected with. But I'm, I'm the first me. I'm the guy who tells it the way I want to tell it. And I hope that you will tell it the way you want to tell it. And, and again, it's not about us. And that's the other part of this is like I'm, I, I almost feel like I get too much attention. And maybe there is something for me to note about that in the sense that I can still be a great broadcaster or play-by-play announcer, but maybe – you know, don't have to use as many pop culture references. Whatever I feel like I'll do, that's that's the way it is. I I, I just want to make it entertaining and fun, and all the all the while realizing that this is as as real as it gets. Okay, and so you do make it entertaining and fun. So, tell me the genesis of Mamma Mia. <laughs> uh, genesis of Mamma Mia was actually when I was doing uh, Matt Rats. Uh, a promotion when I was doing Stampede Wrestling at the turn of the uh, millennium in 2000. Uh, people like uh, T.J. Wilson, Nat Natalia, were with Harry Smith, uh, Jack Evans, uh, Teddy Hart. Uh, a lot of real talent. Were, were, you know, these were kids, literally 18, 19. And uh, when Jack Evans uh, climbed up to what was my uh, bird's nest uh, broadcast position, at least 30 feet off the ground, and then proceeded to say, hello, Moro, bye-bye, Moro, and did a, a moonsault. I, I immediately said, Mamma Mia, instead of, you know, oh, my effing God. And and I realized, you know what? That's a nice tribute to my mom because she's been my, my biggest supporter and someone who, you know, I've chronicled the careers of so many fighters. There's no one who's a tougher fighter than my mom. So that's uh, that's what it was, a, a tribute to mom. And uh, and again, like everything else, it's uh, reserved now for more and more of the, the special moments. I know in WWE it became a thing and to have, what uh, uh, your, you know, I guess catchphrases chanted back at you by the crowd <laughs> was surreal to say the least, but it was uh, a real, uh, wow, one of those moments I'll never forget. So, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate the, the support I've received in this crazy career. That's a fantastic story. That was Eric Bischoff's promotion, too, that he tried getting going, right? No comment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I remember reading about that promotion. Uh, anyway, uh, Mara, what about Bass Rutten? Let's wrap it up with this today. Fantastic time. Thank you so much for coming on. But uh, Bass and, and, and going to Japan and, and Access TV and just when you think back to that friendship and everything, um, what are just some of the key things that, that stick with you even today? No uh, career without Bass Rutten. 
simply put. Uh, Boss Rune came uh, into my life when I was white-knuckling it. I was uh, at my nadir both, uh, well, professionally, it's weird. My career took off at 16, and I've always been gainfully employed despite my litany of uh, mental health issues. But uh, when Boss Rutan uh, reached out to me after we had met uh, doing a real small movie together, about three years prior. And here's a guy, you know, when you hear, Hey, give me a number, you know, you never know when something might come up and you, you think, yeah, yeah, right. You know, everyone, you know, hey, I'll get my guys to call your guys. Let's do lunch, all of that stuff. Uh, sure enough, three years later, I am just out of hospital uh, with a serious mental health breakdown. And there's a voicemail on my uh, answering machine from boss saying that pride is looking for a new play by play announcer. He had my number. He, he remembered how impressed he'd been with, by me. And he said, hey, what's the worst that can happen? Send a tape. Uh, for whatever reason, again, that came at the lowest point in my life. And it very well could have been something that I would have just ignored. But it spoke to me. It, 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 it yelled at me saying, dude, you are getting yet another chance tomorrow. Can you just please focus on your health? Because the universe is trying to tell you something, bro. You're supposed to be on a microphone. So Boss Rudin and I, those were the greatest days of my career in Japan, where I went over 30 times between 2003 and 2006, calling one of the greatest heavyweight fights in MMA history between Fedor Emelianenko and Mirko Krokop and just the pageantry, mm-hmm. the larger-than-life spectacle, the class, the education, the knowledge, the respect. Uh, pride fighting championships by far, uh, you know, if I were to have my Mount Rushmore uh, moments or, or, or chapters, uh, they would be up there. And Boss Rutan is, is the man. There's nothing more to be said. Uh, a guy who literally gave me the shirt off his back in terms of, uh, of allowing me to, to, to grow as an announcer. So, and to work with him on Inside MMA and, and to just be in his life, he's one of the most entertaining, funniest human beings I've ever met. The charisma oozes out of every pore. And uh, maybe on another show, uh, and maybe when one of us is no longer here, I'll share real stories about our trips to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mauro, you are uh, you are certainly welcome back on our program anytime. Uh, we miss uh, seeing you and hearing you on Access every week with Boss, but it'll be great to have you back on Showtime here uh, for these next three weekends in a row. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great hearing your stories, and and I appreciate the. Uh, the, the Stanley Cup call as well. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> hey, guys. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. We'll be back after the break. We'll talk some more hot. Now you made it up. It's all inside your mind. Now you're giving up. You don't know what's there if you don't try. So you're giving in along with all your friends. Hey, it's DB again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for just $15 a month. 
the same rate any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me and the mayor talk about your favorite hockey team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. All right. Welcome back. Third period and uh, DB. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there with Morrow. My highlight, my favorite part had to be the call of the uh, uh, of the Stanley Cup final. 1994 final. Yeah. With Brian Leach and Kurt McLean. Yeah. Fantastic. John, I think coming in at the end of the first, you said a high energy guy. <laughs> I think I think that was proven out in that interview. Wow. Just a. Uh, and just a great story about his challenges with uh, mental health and, and how he's overcome them and how he's still, you know, it's amazing. He says he still has issues with respect to crowds and everything. So um, mm-hmm. it's, look, John, we're all day to day, right? So I just uh, applaud Morrow for being so transparent and open about uh, the issues he's dealing with day to day. And also love the fact that he just said, look, embrace the haters, right? Like they are what they are. And totally. um, he, he wants to stay true to himself. The, the Who he is and what he does and his style and fine, if it's not for everybody, then that's that's okay. He's totally okay with that. He's comfortable in his own skin. He knows what he's really good at. And for my money, he's the best in all of combat sports. He's so versatile. He does a great yeah. job with boxing. He does a great job. You know, he's done kickboxing. He's done uh, a ton of MMA work for uh, basically every company that's out there, including, you know, Elite XC and uh, and and, sh- and um, Strike Force, and then now with Bellator. This big fight coming up this weekend, the three weeks in a row that they're talking about, DB, something pretty interesting. So Bellator is returning to Showtime, or is going to be on Showtime. Scott Coker, the promoter, had been on Showtime with his, his previous company. But Bellator now is going to be on Showtime. Uh, they're on for the next three weeks. They're in the middle of this uh, World Grand Prix tournament that they had started last year and that they're they're finishing out. So you have uh, Patricio Pitbull, who's the champion. He's going to be defending against Emmanuel Sanchez. So he's defending the title as part of a semifinal fight and then waiting for him on the other side. If he gets out of the semifinal, then you have um, the fight. But what's really interesting is that they're going all in to make this um, this weekend's a show available to as many people as possible. Yeah. And they're essentially not just putting it on Showtime, but they're giving away the product for free on all of these various streaming services. So if you don't have Showtime, you don't have any excuse. You still will have the opportunity to be able to watch it. I think that's really unique in this day and age when you hear about all this stuff about uh, sports rights, you know, fees and, and all that sort of thing that they're trying to put their product in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Yeah, it's a great promotional tool. If if you're not at the level of USC or any major sport, like how do you get it to in front of the most eyeballs? I think it's very unique and very innovative what they're doing with respect to making it available like that. Yeah. And Bellator has uh, for a long time now been considered the number two, you know, MMA promotion. There are a lot of other promotions that are out there, but they are uh, right there with UFC in terms of um, their reach and what they're trying to do. And and they do have a lot of former UFC fighters and they have a lot of up and coming fighters as well. So uh, if you're interested in combat sports and you want to hear Morrow, uh, more of Morrow, because uh, you just you just got a 20 minutes plus worth there, which was fantastic. We appreciate him coming on. Um, he is calling those fights for the next three Friday nights in a row on Bellator. So thank you to the folks over there at Bellator for making him available to us. We appreciate that. Now, DB, um, somebody that may want to sign up for Bellator and uh, climb into the cage sometime soon uh, might be uh, McKinnon. Uh, he what threw his helmet at Connor Garland the other night? Yeah, last night he threw it in, his, in the middle of a little of a scrap. He just threw his helmet. Adam got fined $5,000. So now 
Now we have a steel cage match, uh, Nathan McKinnon against the other enforcer um, in uh, Connor McDavid. So let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, if there's one Mick that I want to see in a fight, it would be uh, McDermott because he would yes. be the guy that would basically clean the clocks of both of them. We, you know, we've all been joking about the Anderson, Anderson, and and Anderson Dolan trifecta. How about McDavid, McKinnon, and McDermott in uh, in some sort of a hat trick of uh, combat sports? It couldn't be a three way match. It would have to be a handicap match, though. <laughs> it would be. You're right. It would be. It would be a handicap match. Uh, I'm not sure what the WrestleMania card is this year, but perhaps they could uh, they could work something up but db seriously in in, in all uh sincerity dude you can't throw your helmet at another player no no you ever now it hit him in the stomach <laughs> it wasn't that big of a, it hit him in the head or whatever fine but well, it kind of hit him in like the 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 the, the chest the sternum yeah, area yeah. And, and, and it it rose up to the face but it doesn't really matter where it no, you hit can't him throw you can't throw it. equipment <laughs> he kind of like, tossed just, it though it was not like he wound up and threw a fastball he did it was like okay. a it's like a chess pass in basketball. He's just like, oh, here's your helmet back. Or here's my helmet. Okay. So. But look, but you don't want to be You're part right. of no, no. you don't want to be part of NHL player safety where you are now debating, right, the speed uh, at which you threw the helmet or the location of which it landed. Oh, it hit him in the thigh, which is like the meteor part of the body rather than hitting him in like the elbow, right? Yes. Like you're right. You don't want to be having those conversations. You can't throw equipment, whether it's, you know, Tom Webster using a stick like a javelin against the Calgary Flames back in the day from the King's bench. You can't, you can't do that. No, I, I agree. But, you know, it's, there's also a consequence of the throw, right? I mean, it's going to wind up as a meme, not as an injury to, to Conor Garland. But, yes, you can't throw your equipment at the opposition. Well, the uh, the the gift that's out there, I mean, it does. It makes it makes Conor Garland, you know, sort of react like he's being shot from a sniper. So that's uh, it's not it's not very flattering. Uh, but, yeah, five thousand dollars. I mean, OK, I mean, if you're if you're Nathan McKinnon, you're probably thinking oh, five thousand dollars. I mean, it's kind of worth it. <laughs> One night out in Vegas for him. <laughs> Let's not start any rumors. Uh, the NHL has enough problems with players and uh, having some having some fun in Vegas. Although we had Matt Roy on the program recently and he wasn't having any fun in Vegas. He was on lockdown in his hotel room for 48 to 72 hours. I guess it was closer to 72 hours considering they flew in the day before. Right. Um, so, DB, uh, what, what's coming up on tap for the L.A. Kings is they have a two-game series against San Jose, and they're going to have some uh, some questions. I mean, let's just talk about what's going to happen defensively. It's sort of interesting. We were, um, I think my question to McClellan coming into the, the second game against Vegas was about keeping those pairs together because he had inserted Austin Strand into the lineup, and he liked what he was getting uh, from Austin Strand, enough so you know to keep Strand in the lineup, keep Walker over on the left side, keep McDerm yeah. McDermott as a healthy scratch. In other words, keep those three pairs together. And he was saying, yeah, I'd like to keep them together as much as I can. And as luck would have it, uh, Bjornfoot ends up potentially getting hurt. If he's out of the lineup, you're going against San Jose. What do you do, DB? Do you put, you put Brickley in there? Uh, you know, he is a left shot. That's potentially something easy that you could do. You, you could, uh, you could put Walker up on the second pairing and you could put Brickley on the third pair, although you'd have Brickley and strand, which is not normally something you would do. You could put McDermott back in the lineup. You can also call up Kale Clegg, which wouldn't be the yeah. worst idea in the world. It Dennis. wouldn't be the worst, I, I, but I would think you would elevate Walker and put strand and McDermott together on the bottom pair and not play him that much. Play him ten minutes. I mean, you look at, at the numbers last night. Even when Bianco went out, I think Strand played ten minutes. So, I, I think you got to be judicious with respect to how you. I think draws back. I wouldn't put Dan Brickley in this first game. These are important games now. Like these are playoff games. Mm -hmm. and I'd rather. 
I, I know that people would go nuts, but I think you got to go back to the well and get McDermott back in if, if Toby's out for a while. Why wouldn't you see? I'm in the opposite camp. I would rather call Clegg up. I thought that when Clegg was paired with Walker earlier in the season, I thought that they played just fine together. And I thought that Clegg played better in the NHL, as I've said before, uh, this season than I think he's played in the American League. And actually, his game has kind of turned around the last couple of games in Ontario as well. Uh, he's looked much better, and the coach has been complimentary of him there, Coach Robo. So why not call Clegg up? You could probably get away with it against San Jose. You probably couldn't against Vegas because they're two different type of teams. So, yeah, if they chose to go that route, like I wouldn't have a problem with it. And I agree with you on Clegg. I'd like to see a little bit more of him. And if you say he's, he's adjusted his game or played better down there, then, yeah, give him a shot. I, I just think that um, – I don't think Todd's totally sold off McDermott, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I think there's a yeah. – there's still more of a little bit more of a trust factor now, but granted San Jose is in this powerhouse, big offensive team. So maybe you get away with that. So um, we'll see. If McDermott does go back into the lineup, can he please put them on the third pair, put him on the third pair. Yeah, and and like to. you said, slide Walker up to the Tell second him. pair. Yeah. You don't need to see McDermott on the second pair uh, playing with Matt Roy. We should have asked Matt Roy that uh, we wouldn't have been able to get a straight answer out of no, him, of but you know, Hey Matt, you've played with Bjorn foot and you've played with Clegg. Uh, can you compare and contrast what it's like when you have McDermott as your partner? No, no. <laughs> that question wasn't going anywhere, right? <laughs> Nowhere. Everybody's good. We're all, it's, it takes a village. It's we're a team effort. Yeah. Mac brings yes. a physical presence to the game. No, no. <laughs> we've heard, we've heard them all. We've heard them all. Dennis, do you have any sort of theory or explanation? Because I certainly don't, uh, about what's going on with, the, the starts of series versus the ending of series. I was tweeting about this last yes. night. I think it's nine, four and one in the second game when they've played two game sets. And that first game it, uh, in Vegas, you would have, I mean, I know that everybody's like, well, they scored early. Fine. They scored early, but overall they looked pretty sluggish in that game. It doesn't yeah. make sense to me because they had four days off coming into that game. And you would think that for a team that has some, some days off that they're going to come out hungry. If they would have lost that game three, two or five, four or whatever. And you'd be like, Hey, you know what? Vegas is the better team. That's fine. But Vegas didn't win because they were the better team that night. It, one of the reasons Vegas won, or I shouldn't say it's, I should say it's not the only reason they won, but one of the other reasons that Vegas won was because the Kings just looked very sluggish in that game. And that's, that's not what you would expect for a team that's uh, having, you know, days off like that. And we've seen that a couple of times this season you have any theories or reasons what this is? Because for the second game, they look like different a different team. Maybe just adjustments. Like you're getting used yeah. to, the, you know, seeing better opportunities. And not only that, maybe it's motivation saying, hey, we can't lose both. So let's try mm -hmm. to salvage one. And and U.S. Todd last night, he didn't have an explanation for it either. It's it's All I can think is, like, you make some minor adjustments, and I just think there's just more motivation with respect to knowing that you can, you can drop four points and you don't really want to walk away with zero in a two-game series. Yeah, you you and you know we talked about this a, a little while ago that you you do have the opportunity to focus more on your team rather than the other team. So right. when you're coming into game 1, you're doing a lot of prep and pre-scout on the opposition where after you play that game, you're spending less time talking about in this case, less time talking about Vegas and you're spending more time talking about yourself. So there is sort of better preparation. But yeah, I asked Todd for his explanation last night and uh, he did sort of agree with you. He said the urgency, the fact that we can make some adjustments and fix some things from the night before. He also uh, credited leadership and he said that conditioning is, is part of that. He said sure. that they have a very well-conditioned team and he believed that that's part of it. And while I go, oh, okay, yeah, they're a well-conditioned team. Okay, great. Well, if you're a well-conditioned team, then why aren't you coming in with a lot of energy into the first 
game. So it, it kind of cuts both ways because again, back to leadership, I'm just going to pick apart his quotes. If you have this, this strong leadership, where's the leadership on this and saying, Hey guys, we need to get four points out of this series, right? Let's get two out of the way right up front. And then we're sort of playing with house money uh, in game two, instead of having to play with urgency in that second game to avoid, uh, you know, dropping both games. I think, and with respect to the Vegas game on the 29th, I I think that's just a question of cadence because they were playing basically every other day and then had what, four days off. And Mm -hmm. I just think that it's just, I don't want to say rust because it's not that long off, I just think that they got out of sync, and that's why. But I agree. There's no reason why you wouldn't come out with energy, and they didn't. They The shots were, what, 25-24 in the game? It was a low-event game. You would think that it would be the other way around, where they'd be. this would be the game they would get 35 to 40 shots, but it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, goaltender-wise, he uh, McClellan has been very consistent with the uh, with the rotation, quick, and then Cal. Um, we, we've talked about the, you know, the numbers at length here, DB, I would like to see him alternate from the rotation. I would like to see him go to Cal in game one, especially coming off of this victory, uh, in the second game against, against Vegas. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Um, Cal had the last two wins were both against Vegas and he faced 42 shots against the division leader, right? Um, he, he should be the guy. I agree. It was 22 games left. I would give him 14 of 22. I, I agree. Come mm-hmm. out of the rotation. Um, you got to play your best. And he's your best right now without quite John, without question. You watch what he did mm-hmm. last night. And I, I don't think there's a conversation anymore. Look, if, if, if he fell down or he had two bad games in a row or he got, God forbid, got injured, could you go to John quick? Yeah. But for right now, I think it's, it's two out of every three Cal Peterson players. Mm-hmm. You know, coming up after this series also, DB, uh, they're going to be playing the Arizona Coyotes early next week, right after uh, Easter on Sunday. They have a day off and then they they're back at it on Monday and I believe Wednesday against Arizona. And those games are ultra important. You could say they're more important than the series they just completed against uh, Vegas because this is the team that they're fighting for for that fourth playoff spot. Um, You you could conceivably in these four games right here, you could very well need to have a Cal Peterson ask performance in three of those four games, because you're going to need as many points as possible against um, San Jose and, and against Arizona. How do you, if you're Todd, how do you keep going back to Jonathan quick? If you're getting continued better results out of Cal Peterson at this time in these final 20 games or so, it's difficult to do. John's going to have to put some wins up on the board. That's what he's going to have to do. It's not about, Oh, you know, we got outshot. We got outplayed. You got to win the games. You got to make the big save at the big time. So, and We'll find out, John. I mean, the, the, the flip side of that is with this rotation, they are still in it, and maybe he didn't overwork Cal, so maybe that's that's the type of level of work he needs. Like, can you trust Cal to play 14 to 28 or 14 to 22 down the stretch? That We, we don't know. He's never had this level of work done, so I think that's the flip side of the coin. So you have a, a security blanket, John Quick, where it's a reliable, dependable guy, but, you know, that that's the question. Can Cal manage that amount of work in a short amount of time. Remember, this is a really compacted schedule, John. I don't know what the numbers are, but it's probably, you know, 22 games in 44 games. That would be a lot for Cal Peterson because he's never been at this level of work before. And that's kind of the funny part about it is that all year long, we've been hearing about, well, the Kings need two goaltenders. The Kings need two goaltenders with this, with this rotation and whatnot. Um, The schedule has not been as compacted in the early part as 
as as people have made it out to be. Um, you know, there, there may have been a few weeks here and there, but for the most part, they they haven't played a tremendous amount of back-to-back games. They've had plenty of rest, that cadence that you talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are getting into that period where the cadence is going to be basically every other night. I mean, starting yeah. uh, starting on April 3rd, well, uh, today's the first to the second. Yeah, they play the second and third. They play back to back. But starting on the third, then you go three, five. I'm saying these are the dates: April third, April fifth, seventh, ninth, and then you have the the back to back on the tenth. So this next set of games uh, is pretty compacted, and you need. So we were talking there just four games: Sharks and Coyotes. But really, it's six games because you have San Jose sitting on the other side of the Coyote series. There, uh, there. You you need as many of those six as possible. And so you can look at the back to back and you could go, okay, well, uh, you know, Peterson and quick, you're, you're going to split them because of the back to back, but that's all the more reason why I'd like, I'd rather see Cal Peterson in the first game. And then uh, that way, then quick can play the second game. And then but he doesn't do you that. Know, you, it's usually the other way around. I know, right? I know, I know, but you could play Peterson in both games against the Coyotes. You could play him the fifth and the seventh. I agree. I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see what the rotation is at this point, because again, like if you go according to what's happened this season, it, it'll be 11 and 11 or 12 and 10, not 14 and eight. And mm-hmm. that may not be in the best interest, but look, this, they got it. They got this combination got them this far, right? So now the question is, do you keep going with the combination that got them this far and they're in the, the race or do you now change it? Because there's one guy who certainly, he, he deserves more time. Right. I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Well, I think uh, I think that, that the schedule sets you up to do that. There was a, a part a few weeks ago, and maybe I should have written this down before we recorded, but there was a part a few weeks ago where I was surprised that he didn't do it because um, it would have given Jonathan Quick the extra game if he yeah. did it the way he did. And so going in, I said, no, he's not going to do that because Quick's not going to get the quote unquote extra game that week. Sure, sure enough, Quick did get the extra game. And right. I'm going to say the same thing again here. You look at these six games. If you start Peterson in game one against San Jose, uh, Quick, he can play game two. And then if you started Cal in both games yeah. three and four, and then they would have to split the following because it's a, it's a back-to-back series, Cal would be the one that would end up getting the quote unquote uh, extra game. And if you go with an even rotation, to me, that just doesn't, uh, it doesn't make as much sense considering how much is on the line right now. Uh, but you know, if you're McClellan, I could also hear him, uh, talk everybody, you know, out of it, a different direction and say, Hey, look, it's, it's more than just one guy. We're going to, it doesn't matter who's in net. We're going to need to have, uh, the defensive pairing settled and we're going to need to have the forwards yep. producing. And, well, and there is a president, John. I mean, he did play Cal, I think four straight. Uh, I don't know. And probably, game 20 or 22 or somewhere like that. He he has played after he that. pulled that was, that was actually after he pulled quick in the Vegas game, I believe. Yeah. So so there's some precedent to play him that stretch. And you could always lean back on that and say, OK, well, we there is a stretch where Cal did play consecutive games. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I wouldn't sell quick short, but he's got to come in here. Not just win the game, John. I, I don't at this point, I don't care about expected goals or save percentages. You just need to win the game. Mm hmm. You sound like Cal Peterson because that's actually what I think he said uh, when I had asked him about about something uh, a few weeks back, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I, you know, the stats are the stats, and you know, it's great for the ego and whatever, but all I really care about are the wins." Yeah. Um, and it's true. I mean, it doesn't matter if he's given up five goals every night. I mean, it does, but it, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter as much if he's given up five goals every night if they're winning six five. Because yeah. right now, what they need is the most important number for the LA Kings right now is two. They need two points every night as often as they possibly can to stay relevant in this race. And um, they're, they're right there in the mix, which is uh, what, 
what I think everybody was hoping for, you know, at this point in the season. And here they are, DB. So they need to capitalize on it over these final 22. I think it is uh, games that are left. Absolutely. They're right there. And now to look, if you play well, you're going to be in the postseason. And I think it's a great word because I think this, you know, look, it's exciting. They're playing these games, but it's going to be really exciting to see the less experienced players in these games of consequence, how they react and how they perform. Absolutely. All right, Dennis, another great episode. Thank you again to Mauro Ronaldo for coming in. Boy, that was outstanding to hear not just his uh, his hockey call and his hockey takes, but uh, to to get some insight from him and what he goes through in preparation and uh, and, and just his his career in general. We wish him all the best with uh, these Bellator programs that are coming up with, on uh, on Showtime and some fun Kings talks. Thanks to the L.A. Kings as well for dropping some big news on us today, right before we were set to record, giving us some more meat to talk about with Matt Luff. And uh, Dennis, thank you for the, the great idea on the Todd Father uh, lotto card so i'm gonna have to go out and get some of those scratchers today (laughs) do it jay let's uh can't wait for the next episode all right we'll be back next week everybody enjoy your weekend winners and losers turn the pages of my life we're beggars and choosers with all the struggles and the strife i got no reason Turn my head and look the other way We're good and we're evil Which one will I be today? The saints and sinners Life's a gamble and you might Cowards and heroes Both have been known now to break the rules Just lovers and